Thank you, Mr. Cole, for that introduction. Thankful to be here tonight for the opportunity to speak to you. It's actually my first, first time I've attended here. I've lived and worked as a pastor mostly in Classis West all of my life and then further west in the Far East for several years, as Mr. Cole noted, as missionary in the Philippines. So I've had the privilege to experience firsthand the topic of tonight's lecture, the role of Reformed literature in foreign missions. I was involved on the mission field with Reformed literature, uh, but not to the extent of Reverend and Mrs. Daniel Klein. They established and organized what we know as the Reformed Bookshelf in order to fulfill one of the goals of our mission work in the Philippines, which is to promote the spread of our Protestant Reformed literature in a way which was and is financially accessible to our saints, fellow saints there, and other contacts on the field. And yes, they continue to manage the inventory, the sales, and the distribution of the liter literature in the Philippines, and annually report to the churches on their work, and they do that work very, very well, for which we're very thankful. My involvement in the distribution of the literature, which was of a lesser extent to our various contacts in the Philippines. However, I did experience, as we'll note later in the speech, various reactions to our Protestant Reform literature, including our RFPA publications. And as you know, I also had the opportunity to write a book which the RFPA published which for several reasons was very valuable as well to our work in the Philippines. And so from that experience, I'd like to explore tonight the topic of that role of our reform literature in our foreign mission work. And it's good to remember that our mission work demands first and foremost the preaching as that sword which the church must thrust into the world in order to do that work of sifting for the gathering of that elect remnant on the one hand, but also, don't forget, that destruction of the kingdom of darkness which we also fight against in our mission work. In fact, by my observations of other denominations and religious organizations in the work over there in the Philippines, it's my conviction that that has remained and continues to remain the strength of our foreign missions there in the Philippines by God's grace, of course. But then to serve the advance of that chief means of grace through the earth and the course which God has set in the earth, faithful reformed books do have their rightful place. Now that may seem rather obvious tonight to us tonight because that precludes the very existence of our association and our work as the RFPA. 
But nevertheless, it's worthwhile for us to be reminded, even from Scripture, of that role that the association and the board does have in our foreign missions in order that you might be encouraged to persevere in that work which is very honorable. And so we'll notice tonight that Reformed literature, specifically our Protestant Reformed literature, does have a role in missions, and that is biblical. Secondly, it serves a supportive or instructional role. Thirdly, it promotes and prepares even the expansion of mission work, if God wills. Then we'll also notice, finally in the fourth place, that our Protestant Reformed literature, and we as an association through that work, we also share and will share in the fruits and the effects of the gathering of the Lord's other sheep from the vain religions of the world. We'll notice that too is a blessed work from a spiritual point of view. First of all, the scriptural role that our Protestant Reformed literature has with foreign missions is illustrated by what Paul said to Timothy from prison in verse 13 of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. He said to Timothy, as we read earlier, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the parchments and the books, especially the parchments. In other words, he said to Timothy, bring the books, especially the parchments. Now Paul was in prison once again, and may have had books with him for his study, but it's clear from his request to Timothy that he needed more. What those scrolls or the parchments may have contained, what the apostle had in mind, were not specifically told, but the apostle viewed them as necessary for his work, although that was, of course, severely limited while he was sitting in prison. But nevertheless, for faithfulness yet, while he was still alive, Timothy, bring the books, especially the parchments. We can apply that text to our foreign missions and the need to bring the books that will assist in that mission work. That place of literature and foreign missions is set forth either directly or indirectly in three references in our denominational liturgy and the church order. First of all, we read in the form for the ordination of missionaries some of the duties of missionaries. In the first place, the missionary is told when he is ordained, thou art to bring to their attention by all fit and lawful means the glad tidings that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners. Those fit or proper and lawful means include the pamphlets, the magazine articles, the newspaper articles that the missionary may need to write, the sermon outlines that are posted on the internet, the catechism outlines, the lecture notes, and also the books, our own literature, our own books. 
The constitution of the domestic mission committee requires the missionary, in fact, to report, quote, the number of pieces of literature mailed and personally distributed. There, too, the emphasis on the role of literature in our work. And then that's assumed by the formula of subscription that a missionary will be writing or using the literature that has been written, and in the use of that requires of him to teach and faithfully defend the aforesaid doctrine without either directly or indirectly contradicting the same by our public preaching or writing. And so in fulfillment of that mandate, and for his own sermon preparation, and for the instruction of the people among whom he labors, the missionary needs books, reformed books, reformed literature that stand in harmony with the scriptures and the confessions, the standards of the faith which God has given to us. Particularly, he needs the assistance of reformed literature and books in the exposition of the truth over against all of the errors which he may face in the place where the Lord and the church have sent him and may need that literature because he doesn't have the time often to reinvent the wheel, so to speak, but must use the published literature by his colleagues in the ministry or the ministers God has given to our churches before to help him in the work. So those reform books then must be used and must complement the faithful proclamation of the Word of God according to the Reformed faith. That's important to remember, too, that in our work as an association and a board, we remember what we are assisting. We're assisting the proclamation of God's truth, the Reformed faith, which we believe is our Catholic, undoubted Christian faith. And when we believe that it's the Catholic, undoubted Christian faith, we distinguish ourselves from those, even in Reformed circles, who question the usefulness and the effectiveness of things like the three forms of unity, or books that expound that doctrine. Because they say, well, that belongs to the Europeans who wrote that. You can't take the three forms of unity. You can't take what was learned in the controversies of the church, such as in 1953 in our own denomination, and then transplant the fruits of those controversies into a foreign place like the Philippines. And that contends then that that only comfort in life and death, which we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, for example, is not sufficient, it's not effective. It's not reliable in the work of the church in those third world countries. Apparently, it is their understanding, those who question that, the use of the three forms of unity and so on, it's their understanding that the faith is culturally conditioned and it doesn't transcend culture. That we reject on the basis of Scripture and the Heidelberg Catechism especially in Lord's Day 7, where it says what the Christian must believe. 
Not just the European Christian or the North American Christian, but what does the Christian, whatever nation, tribe, and tongue he may be gathered, what must he believe? The answer is that promise of the Holy Gospel, which we confess, which is set forth in that Catholic, undoubted Christian faith. And that faith, or this doctrine, is expounded in the Apostle, according to the Apostles' Creed in the Heidelberg Catechism, and in the Belgic Confession of Faith, and in the Canons of Dort. We would also argue, also expounded and clarified and set forth in the Declaration of Principles, which set forth the teaching of the Confessions on those specific points of doctrine regarding the covenant, election, faith, and baptism. This doctrine, that Catholic faith, must be complemented, or the proclamation of that Catholic faith, that truth must be complemented with Reformed literature that holds to the same truth, that promotes that defends, that expounds, that encourages that Catholic faith among those whom the missionary labors. And so, to, so we as missionaries say to the RFPA and its association, its board, bring those books and more like them. We say to the staff of the Standard Bearer, bring those books set forth that defend this Catholic faith, a faith which does belong also among God's people in other nations, even in Asia. When we do that, then in the second place tonight, that literature will serve an instructional role by the grace of God. It means that missions is the work of the authoritative proclamation of God's truth, and the proclamation of that truth by instruction. That's especially true in missions. Missions is advanced not by many of the popular means that are proposed in the church world, but by instruction. That's exactly what Paul did. When we read in Acts chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, that's what Paul did. We read there in Paul, Acts chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Then after being told by Christ to continue at Corinth and not to leave, and to speak in the name of Christ the gospel truth, what does Paul do? Acts chapter 18, verse 11, we read, He continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Teaching by means of didactic, logical, probing questions, detailed answers, that kind of instruction, delivering to those among whom he labored, propositional truth, expounding with great detail what that truth is, but antithetically over against the lies of idolatry and the other vain religions he faced. And then grounding that instruction 
in Scripture, in the Old Testament, or whatever he had of the books of the New Testament. By the true and tried question and answer method, he opened, he alleged, he reasoned, he came to logical, scriptural conclusions of faith concerning Christ, Jehovah, and salvation by God's grace alone. Yes, this instruction was lengthy, precise, exhausting. Going beyond the battery power of my microphone, I have a red light. That's not good news. Can we switch to the... You can hear me okay? Okay. Well, what I was going to say is that with all his, Paul's teaching, for example, in Troas, that long sermon, that long, those long, that long exposition of the truth, Eutychus fell asleep and fell out of the window. But even so, that kind of teaching, that preaching, that instruction was necessary. And so there needs to complement that work of the preaching, reformed literature, which instructs, which builds up, which complements the fundamental work of missions. That instructional role is carried out in three ways. First of all, in our reformed literature, as it does, as I've experienced, complements the work of missions in this aspect of instruction, it helps the missionary to bring a more detailed exposition of what he has taught in the Bible study, in the lecture, in the catechism class, or even in the sermon. That's important because one of the limitations a missionary always faces in his work is the lack of time. goes through the Bible study. The Bible study begins with devotions. We sing and then we get into the, into the doctrine, the passage we're reading, and the discussion begins. The questions and answers begin to flow. The missionary blinks twice, and then the time's up already. And they spent an hour and a half, two hours, focused on learning. And there's so much more yet to be done. So the missionary finds relief because of that limitation and the opportunity to give to the context who need to know more and they're hungering for more, a book. We have told them, get this book. This will help you grow in your understanding of these things. And then we just don't give to them the book. We follow up with them what they have read. That's a wonderful thing when the missionary has the opportunity to recommend a book, a reliable book whose author is known to him, a colleague in the ministry, who's faithful to the three forms of unity, to the confessions, knows the content to be true to the word of God, then with confidence to give that to the objects of his mission work. It's a wonderful blessing. In the second place, Reformed literature specifically our publications, also are helpful when in the lecture that we might be giving, 
And this has happened several times. The missionary brings a lecture, let's say an eschatology, and then someone comes up to him after class and says, but I have a question about this, one of God's attributes in theology, and I need to more, know more about that. What does the missionary do? Does he say, well, we're going to get to that in about six months, so just be patient? No, that doesn't work. The contact wants to know. He has a colleague. He has a co-worker that he needs to meet in the morning. He needs to know an answer because his co-worker wants an answer. What do we do? We hand them a book. Or send them an excerpt from the book. Give them the literature which is at our fingertips to help them to give an answer to their earnest question. And then again, follow up with them about what they have learned. And then thirdly, and I think this is just as important, perhaps even more important, our Protestant Reformed literature also provides another witness to the instruction on the mission field. We know that the need for two or more missionaries is a biblical principle, and it's a biblical principle not merely from the viewpoint of the workload, such as it is in the work in the Philippines, but that witness of two missionaries is also warranted from this point of view, that whatever one missionary may teach can be verified by the other missionary that we have experienced as well. It's often the case that new contacts and new converts will ask one missionary, what's your answer to this question? And then a week later they get the other missionary and they ask him the same question, not telling me that they already asked Reverend Klein the question, and now I must answer their question. And then they compare our answers by the grace of God, the answers are the same. And by the testimony of the two, every word of God is confirmed in their understandings unto their growth and edification. Our RFPA books, our standard bearer, serves that role of a second or third witness to our new converts, to our new contacts, or even to our mature believers in the established churches where we've had mission work. That too is just as vital as the other roles of our reform literature. In the third place tonight, our reform literature also serves a promotional role in missions. In the first place, it serves an awareness who we are and what we teach in distinction from whatever else is out there on the mission field. And in the Philippines, it's just about every denomination and cult in the world is there in Metro Manila. What makes the Protestant Reformed churches different? Our Reformed literature assists the missionaries to show what makes us different by the grace of God. That's true with those who are, who are our enemies, who will remain our avowed enemies. The literature does get into their hands, 
into the hands of the cult leaders and the false church that is there, and they begin to know who the Protestant Reformed churches are. And so it's important that our literature also be clear and distinct so that it may expose the lie and the false teachings of the cults and the, and the vain religions of the world in which, on a field in which our missionary may labor. And then it will also help to clarify, to show that the common caricatures and straw men about the PRCA or the PRCP are not true. Secondly, it will serve to answer the curious about our churches. What do you believe? Why do you believe that? Are often the questions. Or the charge is, doesn't your teachings make you careless and profane? Don't you believe this and that makes your God cruel and so on? Our literature, in addition to what the missionary may be able to say in his limited time with that individual, the literature can be sent, given to them, to give a fuller answer to their questions. And then thirdly, it also promotes among our converts and long-standing members in the established churches where we've had mission work, it helps them grow in the faith. It helps them to establish their witness in their daily life. They want those materials for their daily devotions. They want to grow in that faith which the Lord has given them. And as they are new to the faith, they're hungry and thirsty for that and for their children to have that too. They need the literature, the books, for refreshing their memories. What did we learn in catechism and this doctrine? They need a library to help them. It will help them with their apologetics to their neighbors, their co-workers, their acquaintances. And above all, they also need that for their covenant instruction of the children at home. For example, with the biblical curriculum and Come Ye Children that we as association publish. Very important supportive instructional role God has given us the opportunity to fulfill. But also in regards to promoting missions, our reform literature serves our very small denomination in comparison to the other churches and mission organizations out there and helps to assist in our full-time missionary work. This was true in the Foreign Mission Committee back in the 1990s when we were exploring the work in the Philippines. As a small denomination, we couldn't simply send out a missionary and his family or two missionaries out there and have them begin the work there on their own. We needed to investigate and our reform literature, which we distributed and sent by mail over there, assisted in testing the genuineness of those among whom we labored to see if that would be the place or area we would locate. It also fed those who hungered for more instruction that our delegations could provide on their short 
two or three week visits. And so it was also a means that we were able to use to begin the work of establishing a mission field there in 2002. But also it serves a very practical way in what we call limited access countries or regions. There are some countries into which we cannot send full-time missionaries because of the immigration rules. The country may be blocked to Westerners such as Myanmar. And there are areas in the Philippines where it would not be safe for Caucasians such as we to go. There's a place in the south called Mindanao, certain areas of Mindanao where we can't go. But our books can in the hands of members of our churches in Manila, through their contacts in the South, they can deliver those books, and that has been done, to those who are interested, who want to know the Reformed faith. Our Reformed books serve that role when the presence of a full-time missionary is not yet possible in the Lord's providence and is a way to prepare that area if and when the Lord may open the door to go there. That means that we as association and a board of the RFPA, we in the fourth place tonight serve a blessed, blessed role. That blessedness as authors and publishers is a spiritual blessedness because it's related directly to the fruits of mission work, which is both negative and positive. Yes, our literature has had that negative fruit. There's the story of one seminary in Manila. They obtained, we don't know how, but they obtained into their library a copy of Reformed Dogmatics by Herman Huxema, the one volume, the original edition, the one volume set publication of Reformed Dogmatics. It ended up in the library and as the professors discovered that the students were not only reading it but also embracing the teaching of it and beginning to put it into their papers and into their classroom discussion, they became alarmed. And so they took the book and moved it up a shelf or two hoping that the short Filipinos would not be able to reach it but the book was continu continued to be used until finally the professors put it out of the seminary so that the men could no longer use it. They didn't want the teachings of the Protestant Reformed and the Reformed faith. One contact refuses to read our RFPA books while the other spouse, while his spouse reads the books cover to cover and consumes them. We have heard of avowed Arminians who very vehemently express their hatred for the Reformed faith. They have shunned some of our contacts because they've received these books and began to embrace that truth, begin to teach it in their Bible studies. Some pastors Enemies of the Reformed faith have demanded that their members in their churches never read 
literature such as our RFPA publications. I don't know how that church enforces that, but that's what we were told. We have heard charges of hyper-Calvinism, anabaptism, anti-missions, heresy, narrow-mindedness, and many, many more name, names could be added in response to the literature. So yes, we do bear reproach for the sake of Christ. But then, beloved, in answer to our prayers, that God's kingdom come also in a positive way. There have been good responses to our literature. For example, one man, you have to understand the wage of the Filipino to appreciate this example. The daily wage is far, far less than what we're accustomed to. One man worked six days a week. From his paycheck, the end of the week, Saturday, he set aside support for the church first, then the RFPA books, and then the care of himself and his wife. That was first, to satisfy his appetite for that reformed instruction. Another example of a man thought he would just stop by the reformed bookshelf at the Klein's house in Antipolo to buy a book that he saw advertised at one of our lectures, one of the Bereans' lectures, came to their house and left with an armload of books on his back seat. He placed them, rejoicing to have found exposition of the pearl of great price. Others have told us after Bible study or catechism lessons, their deep appreciation for things they have read in this book or that book, talking about what they read, expecting and wanting us as missionaries to interact with them in that discussion to confirm them in their love for the truth. Fathers and mothers, thankful for the Bible story books so they can teach their children God's Word, but also we've discovered themselves as well because they did not have that in their youth. Others express great joy at reading the books so carefully written, so clearly written, making it easy for them to understand and, and to grow and to learn the Reformed faith and to see things in God's truth they've never seen before and rejoice to see. You need to hear that positive fruit, all the work that you as an association and board as a publisher does. Under God's blessing, there is that positive fruit as well. And so our role in supporting reformed, our reform missions, foreign missions, is a spiritual, also has a spiritual happiness to it. And that spiritual happiness does not promise you understand financial success. It's not the day and age in which we live. There may come a day when distribution of books reaches a saturation point in a particular region because there is no more interest in the truth. Or there's persecution. Or the books have been banned. 
by the government dominated by the religion in that particular country. And it's not hard for us to imagine the day will come where Protestant Reformed literature, as long as it does not compromise the truth and is clear, antithetical, and sound, that our books may be banned. We may be charged with hate crimes against humanity. Lawsuits may come. We might be financially ruined because of faithfulness to the truth and obedience to Jesus Christ. What should your response be when that happens? Withdraw from the battle when the threat is coming? Compromise? God forbid that we do that. But understand there is a risk, a spiritual risk that you run as you take that supporting role with reformed missions or even domestic missions. You complement the work of missions. There will not only be positive fruit, but there will be backlash, negative reaction, persecution. But nevertheless, do not fear when the books are banned and the books are burned which are faithful to God's truth. And if the lawsuit comes, count it a privilege. Be spiritually happy. Be joyful as the apostles were when they were persecuted for righteousness' sake, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Count it joy to serve that supportive role in missions and also to bear the reproach of Christ. While it is yet possible, while we still have the freedom today, the admonition of Scripture to you is bring the books. Don't stop. Publish the sound, edifying books that support the clear sound of the gospel of Christ and the gathering of his other sheep. And we do that in the prayer that the chief shepherd of the sheep may establish the feeble work of our hands for the sake of those other sheep who must yet be gathered in. Thank you.